to the brave men and women who stood up for freedom, who answered the call and fought for our nation, who paid the ultimate price and never came back. To the American soldier, we thank you. To the mothers and fathers who raised a hero, to the brothers and sisters with an empty space, to the sons and daughters who have only memories, to the wives and husbands who bear the void with pride, to all who've lost a soldier they love, no gift could repay your sacrifice, no tribute could match our admiration. No word can contain our gratitude, but still, it deserves to be said. We remember you, we salute you, and we honor you today. Valley View School in Watcher, New Jersey. My classmate was Clayton Jones. And I don't remember what time during the day, but the principal came on to the loudspeaker throughout the school. And he said, we want to take a moment of silence because Stephen Crawford Jones had died in Vietnam. I didn't know him. I knew his brother, Clayton, my classmate. But I remember as a young man, it was the first time in my life that I really felt a sense of loss. And I think back not only about him, and I think about him, I think about many others. I know that Aaron, when he was down in Washington with his family, went to the Vietnam Memorial Wall. And uh, found uh, Donna's brother's name on that wall and they I think they sent you back a picture or something along those lines I remember seeing uh, forgive me but I forget your brother's first name John we some of us go out to breakfast in Adams on Friday mornings and they have an Adams along the street there different men who were killed in action and served and John is one of those men but as Pastor Ethan said uh, Memorial Day tomorrow is a day to remember those who gave their life for this country. And uh, we are gonna enjoy barbecues, and we're gonna enjoy different events this weekend, but let's never forget that the price of liberty is the cost of shed blood. And uh, many who have died for this, this liberty. So let's pray, let's take a moment this morning and pray and just just uh, and remember them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, 
First and foremost, we're, we're thankful for the liberty that we have in Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed for our sin. But this weekend, Lord, we have taken as a country a day to just set aside and think of those who paid the ultimate sacrifice. And we think of the families. We think of the moms and the dads, the brothers, the sisters, the wives, the children of those who have fallen. And we pray, Lord, that you would comfort them, that you would meet their need, that they would know that we as a nation appreciate their service, their valor, and the price that they paid. And instill in us, as citizens of this country, a reminder of these freedoms and that they were bought and paid for from generation to generation. And to be mindful of the words of Patrick Henry, who said, eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. So bless these families, Lord, and help us as a people to always be grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Psalm 115 this morning. This will be our last message in our series, Bless the Lord, O My Soul. And I just love that verse that's been our theme verse from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And so we've been speaking about this idea of blessing the Lord. And so we put, and I have this in your notes, so if you're looking at your handout today, uh, to bless the Lord, uh, for those of you that haven't been here with us, to bless the Lord, it means to speak of the goodness of God. When we are blessed of the Lord, we are receiving the goodness of God. We experience it. But when we bless the Lord, of course, we don't have anything that we can give Him to make Him any greater or make Him uh, have any more possession. He is the Lord above all. He has all. But when we bless Him, we're not adding to Him, but we are, while we've received His goodness and His blessing, we are expressing His goodness back to Him. And really, what we've done is we've focused on lives of worship and what it means to worship God. And so last week was Psalm 34, and this week is Psalm 115. I'll just, I know we read the whole Psalm, so let's just look at the, the end of it. Look at verse number 12. So Psalm 115, verse 12, and let's take a look at this again. And notice here there is this idea that we have been blessed, and then we are going to bless Him. So verse 12, the Lord hath been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. Ye are blessed of the Lord, which made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's. But the earth hath he given to the children of men. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. Now together with me once more, ready? But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. So you saw all of those verses of how blessed. You are blessed, you are blessed, you are blessed, you are blessed, you are blessed. And at the very end, it switches around. We will bless the Lord. We will praise the Lord. Now, what this psalm is going to do in the time that we have left, what I'd like to show you is the psalm describes a life of blessing. 
Now, when I say a life of blessing, you and I would probably, if, if you didn't have the context of this series, if I said, hey, do you want to experience a life of blessing? You would all undoubtedly say, yes. But what would you be thinking? What would you be thinking when I said a life of blessing? You'd be probably, right or wrong, you'd be probably thinking of receiving, right? Well, I'd like to talk to you this morning about both. A life of blessing is we the blessed bless the blesser. We the blessed bless the blesser. Did you catch all of that? So if not, write it down. It'll, it'll, it'll come around later on. We who are blessed. So the question is this. If we're speaking about a life of blessing, ask yourself this question. What kind of life am I living? That's an interesting question, isn't it? People don't necessarily give thought to that. Those aren't typically the questions people ask. What kind of life am I, am I living? People might think, well, how long of a life will I live? How prosperous of a life might I have? What will my, what will my life be like? But I want to ask us this. What kind of life are you by choice? What kind of life are you living? Now, it's very, very relevant that question is to this passage. Because Psalm 115, it is not 100% certain who the author of the psalm is. But many people believe that Psalm 115 was written during or around the time of the Babylonian captivity. Hmm, indeed. You're, now you might be here and you, you may be like, the Babylonian what? Like, what are you talking about? Well, this is from Israel's history. And there was a time in Israel's history where they had forsaken God, and they'd been warned and warned and warned, and God allowed a foreign army, the Babylonians, to come in and to capture the people of Israel. They destroyed the city, they ransacked the temple, they murdered all kinds of people, and they carried away captives. They enslaved a whole nation and they tied them up and chained them up and marched them miles, you're talking weeks and weeks of journey, back to Babylon. And they set up little communities where they were now going to live in Babylon. Can you imagine the circumstances? What kind of future would you imagine for yourself under those circumstances? Pretty dire and pretty bleak. But there were all kinds of psalms that were written during that time to give them perspective, to give them hope, and to remind them that God was still not done with them. So many people believe that this is one of the songs that was written during that captivity. That's going to become significant as we go on. But what kind of life are you living? And you'll see that this psalm encourages, encourages us regarding the quality of our life. So number one this morning, what I want you to see in the first eight verses, is that this psalm calls us, in this blessed life, the psalm calls us to a God-centered life. Now, to make sure we're all together, what kind of life are we talking about, first of all? A God-centered life. Now, it begins with a negative statement. Let's look at verse number one. It begins with this negative statement. Why don't you read it with me? Ready? Not unto us. Say it again. Not unto us, O Lord. And then he repeats it again. Not 
unto us. Now, in the Hebrew writings, repetition was often used as a form of emphasis. And what this psalm begins with, if we were to put it in super contemporary, in super contemporary English, it would start like this. We'd say, this isn't about me. Not about me. Not about me, Lord. It's not about me. Do you think you and I could use a reminder of that every now and then? Some, we, are, we are just prone to believing that we are the center of the universe. Now, this may seem counterintuitive, but if you and I want to experience the very best kind of life you possibly could imagine, you have to begin with the statement, it's not about me. Not about me, O oh Lord. Not about me. Our lives, and this answers the question, this idea of a God-centered life, it answers the question, who do I live for? Who do I live for? Do I live for myself? Or is my life centered on someone else? You'll notice this in verse number one. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto who? Thy name. Unto thy name give glory. Now, you could answer this question with a lot of things. You could the question, well, who do you live for? You could say, well, no, I don't live for myself. But what I also want us to, to, what I also want us to see is this. It's not enough to just not live for ourselves. We have to replace ourselves with the only appropriate purpose and person for living. You say, what do you mean? I mean this. Some people would say, well, my life is not about me. It's about my children. How many of you have heard someone say something like that before? Or maybe they don't have children. They have a mission and a purpose in life. And they, maybe they support a cause, an important cause. And they say, you know what? My life is not about me. It's about these people who I serve. All of those, as noble as they may sound. I mean, we have obviously, the, it's clearly wrong that we shouldn't live self-centered lives but we actually do not live others-centered lives either. Our lives are to be centered on God, on Him. It's a God-centered life. After all, you say, well, well, why is that? Is that because God is so self-absorbed that He needs us? Is that the answer? No, of course not. But the fact is this, that God knows that as our Creator... As the one who designed us, let me ask you this. Who knows what is best for us? He does. And so the, the more we are focused on him, the more he is going to order and fulfill our lives. You see, it's not just, we are not simply denying ourselves in, in, in some kind of self-defeating way. Well, well, okay, I give up. It won't be about me. It won't be about them. I guess it's going to be about God. No, when we center our lives on God, what you're going to see is now there is renewed purpose, there's renewed vision, there's renewed hope, but the only place you can focus your life is on the Lord. What kind of life are you living? Is it God-centered or is it family-centered, career-centered? All of these questions, very important. Who do I live for? It's a God-centered life and it is all for His glory. The Apostle Paul would say this, and I believe it's in Colossians, which we'll see in a few weeks. Whatsoever you do, whether you eat or drink, 
do all for the glory of God. That my life's purpose is to magnify and glorify the creator. That's why I'm here. That's why you're here. How aware are you of that God-centeredness that needs to be the core of your life? It's not self-centered. It's not other-centered. And it's all for his glory. And now this is maybe the most important part because the rest of this section, these next seven verses of these eight, really warn us to avoid idolatry. What is idolatry? Idolatry is the worship of idols. Look at this now. This is really interesting. Verse 2. Wherefore should the heathen say, where now is their God? Now that's interesting, because remember, what is the time period of this? What is the time period of this psalm, likely? The exile, the Babylonian captivity. But even if it's before that, the fact is, Israel is surrounded by polytheistic, idol-worshipping nations. Now, in the world today, there are three major monotheistic religions. Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Those are the three major um, monotheistic religions. When Psalm 115 was written, how many monotheistic religions were there? One. There was only one group of people in the whole world that worshipped just one God. Only one group of people. Every place you went, the most impressive nations like Egypt, Persia, Assyria, Babylon, where all these magnificent structures and these magnificent cultures were created. All of these places, everywhere you went, there were, the word here is heathen. That, that, that literally means people who, are, who do not worship the God of the Bible. They worshiped a multitude of deities. They would make them out of stone. They would carve them out of wood. Very often, they would make them look similar to themselves. Or they would uh, make them in reference to some natural phenomenon, like the moon or the sun. Or, the, or They would just fashion them with things that they would experience in their lives. But do not discount the fact that Israel, in this day when this is written, this is extremely unique. And, have, and you might say, like, I read the Old Testament. Why was Israel always, what was their sin over and over again? It was turning from Jehovah to, to idols. Over and over again. And we're like reading this. We're reading, well, you might read your Old Testament. And you're like, man, I'm reading like a thousand years of history here. Come on, guys, you want to like smack him upside the head and be like, no, it's the Lord, it's Jehovah, he's the God. And the, and the Israelites are like, well, I don't know. Those Phoenicians have a really cool fish god. Maybe I'll worship him. And, you're, and we're like, you would worship a fish god over the god who split the Red Sea? You would worship, you would, you would worship the uh, Dagon. You would worship these false gods compared to the glory of Jehovah, the creator who spoke it all. But why did they turn to idols? Because of what? 
the pressure of the nations around them, the pull of the world around them. They were a spiritual minority. And what I want to encourage you with today, 21st century Bible-believing Christian, is that you also are living in an age where you are a spiritual minority. <laughs> the idols of the age look a little bit different, but we see we, we are in a whole culture that has turned in the last 150 years, our culture has turned from being a culture that was grounded on following the principles of God's word. Really what you're seeing today, and I don't have time to, to really flesh all this out, but if you look at the movements that are very popular today, spiritually wise, they're very similar to the ancient paganism that has been around from the beginning. There's a cultural, there are cultural idols. Some of them take the form of religion, but some do not. What is an idol after all? An idol, an idol is a imagined, an imagined expression of a God. Now, who decides what the idol is going to look like? Well, the person with the knife or the chisel, right? Who decides what the idol is going to be like? Well, the person who's coming up with the idea. Now, I want you to notice back in the Psalm 115, look at how he says this. In verse 2, wherefore should the heathen say, where is now their God? Verse 3, you, want to, you need an answer for that question? Well, Israel, like, we have this God and that God, and let me pull back the curtain and show you all my cool God, my cool collection of gods. Where is your God, Israel? And the psalmist says this, our God is in the heavens. He's above all. He's above everything. He doesn't dwell in your little temples. He says, he says do not be intimidated by the idolatry around you. Christian young people, do not be intimidated by those who claim to speak in the name of science or education or philosophy to tell you that it's absurd to believe in the scriptures. Never forget that our God lives in the heavens. He's not conceived with man's ideas. In fact, there are some, how many of you have come to understand there are some questions about God that we just can't answer? Does that mean there is no God? Well, that's what the, the, the militant atheists of the day, well, if there's a God, well, what about this? And we could, we could go down all the questions. Well, here's just a simple thought back at that. If you could understand and explain everything about God, would he be God? By definition, by definition, God must be other than us. He must be superior to us. If there is a God and you could comprehend all that there is, and, and you could, if God was such that you could comprehend all that there was about him, he would not be God. We would be God then. And that is the trap of idolatry. That these gods are, they exist within the minds of men and women. And look how he describes it here. Verse 3, our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. He runs this show. Verse 4, their idols are silver and gold. The work of men's hands. They've got mouths. Ever heard him say anything? They have... Eyes, I don't see them looking around. 
They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they're kind of stuck there, kind of frozen, those hands. My favorite story is one of my favorite stories. In the Old Testament, the Philistines capture the Ark of the Covenant. If you're like, what's the Ark of the Covenant? You'll have to look it up later. But they go and they capture the Ark of the Covenant. And they bring the Ark of the Covenant back and they put it in the house of their god. Anybody know their god's name? Dagon. And Dagon is this big, impressive, well, he's one of these. He's got a mouth, but doesn't move. His eyes are just shut. But he was able to accomplish one thing in his existence. There was one thing he was able to do, and that is this. When they brought the Ark of the Covenant into his room, do you know what Dagon finally did? He fell over. <laughs> Thank you. I wasn't going to go there. He worshipped the true God. He fell down on his face. That false image came crashing down. I just love that story. And he just reminds us of this. And here's the, here's the well, let's, let's read the rest of it. Uh, what am I on? Verse number 8. Now let's go to verse 8. They, make, they that make them are like unto them. Now, here's what I always come away with when I read these kinds of passages. What has your idol ever done for you? The answer is what? Nothing. What has your idol ever done for you? Nothing. Now, I want you to think about this. In 1 John chapter 5, in verse 21, this is the Apostle John's conclusion to his epistle. 1 John 5, 21, speaking not to Israelites, but to New Testament Christians. Read what he says with me. Ready? Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Do you think that we have finally in 2023 solved this problem once and for all? We have not. The scripture is just as pertinent to you and to me as it was the day it was written. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. You say, but but I haven't carved something out of stone. I don't have a statue in my house. Well, an idol now, think about this. We worship, I jotted this down, we worship what we believe will bring us the most happiness. If you want to find your idol, if you want to know what you're tempted to worship other than God, think about that. We worship what we believe will bring us the most happiness. So, you say, well, how do you know? Well, think about it. These ancient peoples, they had gods of the rain. Why did they have gods of the rain? Because when their crops needed to grow, who were they praying to? The rain god. They had gods and goddesses of fertility. Why? Because they want, when they wanted to have babies, they prayed to the fertility goddess. They had, for every need that they craved in life, they created a god and they worship that god or that goddess. It is not so different today. We worship what we crave. Therefore, you will find people in America that bow down today to the false idol of sex. A natural human craving. That is in its proper place good and right in marriage, but our culture has replaced God's gift of sex and turned it into an 
idol. And people bow down to sex on their internet screens and on their phones. They worship it. And in their relationships, and in their illicit behaviors. Friends, we are just a few days away. You want to see the idolatry of sexuality? Just we are a few days from what is called Pride Month. And it is a pagan, idolatrous celebration of perverted sexuality. That is not a popular statement. This is what Christians have been called to. Keep yourselves from idols. It's an idol sex is an idolatry of our age. But that's not where the idolatry ends. Because you could say, oh, well, I don't participate in that, and I don't believe in that. I believe that sex is for marriage between a man and a woman. I believe that. Well, I, that, that's not what, what, where I bow down and worship. Yes, but you may bow down and worship at the God of money. And you will put in every, every hour, and you'll devote every energy and every thought to how I can make more money, how I can accumulate things. And you and I, we may have one idol. No, I don't worry about that one, but there's another temptation to bow down to this idol. It may not be the God of, of money. It may not be the God of sex. It could, be, it could be simply the God of entertainment and sport and recreation. There are Christian families. There are Christian families who are today... Today, I mean this morning, not today in general, right now, there are Christian families who have forsaken the gathering of God's people and taught their children to bow down at the altar of baseball or soccer. These are my little children. Keep yourselves from idols. It's our job. To teach everyone? It's my job, actually, as a pastor. Paul said that you will teach every man, that you will warn every man, that you may present every man before the Lord. We, we have to examine our lives. Do you bow down to the God of entertainment? And I've got to be honest with you. Like, it, it's, it's, sometimes it's... Let's, look, let's not look at the, at the just at those who aren't here per se, let's look at what, how we spend our time. Say, well, no, I do come to church, but, but how much time do we give to God and His Word? It's a challenging thought for us, isn't it? We are called as Christians to live God-centered lives. People bow down at all the false gods of our day. Another god would be education. Remember, all of these things that I've mentioned are gifts from God, aren't they? I haven't mentioned one single thing that in and of itself is inherently wrong. Sports and entertainment, good gifts from God. Sex, good gift from God. Career, money, good gift from God. That is the problem with idols is they're sneaky. And they come back around into our lives. My little children, keep yourselves from idols. It's a God-centered life that we need. How important was it for the children of Israel in Babylon to have a song that they could sing making fun of the false idols? <laughs> right? 
Now, I'm not saying that we need to go out here and, and, and be, there's, a, there's a, 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 a time and a place, but this was a song that they would sing. I don't know what the tune was, but I imagine this was popular among the children. It would have been popular if I were one of the, for me, if I were one of the kids, there's an idol over there, got a nose, but it can't smell. You know, I'd be singing stuff like that. Got a mouth, but it can't talk. You know, now, of course, it was much more official and solemn and Hebrewish and all that, but same point. Same point. It was just a reminder. What's an idol ever done for you? What's an idol ever accomplished for you that God Almighty can't do? You see, he, when we have such a great God, why would we turn to such lesser things? What a great song. In verse number 8, they that make them are like unto them. In other words, your God is just, if your God is a reflection of you, that's a sad God. So is everyone that trusteth in them. Well, look at verses 9 through 11. It's not just a God-centered life, but it's a God-dependent life. Verse 9, O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron. What's he say to the house of Aaron? What did he say back in verse number 9 to Israel? Hey, Israel, what? Trust the Lord. Hey, house of Aaron, what? Help me out now. House of Aaron, what? Trust in the Lord. Now, verse number 11. Ye that fear the Lord, what do you need to do? Trust in the Lord. Now, wait a minute. Wouldn't verse 9 have been sufficient? Like, technically speaking, doesn't verse 9 kind of cover all the bases right there? Go back to verse 9 if you, if you would, Kayla. Oh, Israel, trust thou in the Lord. Were the sons of, were the, uh, were the, was the house of Aaron part of Israel? Were the, those that fear the Lord, were they part of Israel here? Yeah, of course they were. It would have sufficed, but it's very, very interesting. And, and the application I'm drawing from this is we all need reminders that we must put our confidence in God. We must trust in the Lord. We cannot trust in ourselves. And you'd be like, oh, well, we're Israelites. We already know that. Oh, wait, house of Israel, don't forget to what? Say it with me. Don't forget to what? Trust in the Lord. Don't forget to trust in the Lord. Hey, Christian, don't forget to what? Oh, but I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, but Christian what? Trust in the Lord. Oh, but I am of the house of Aaron. Who are those people? Who is the house of Aaron? The priests. The religious leaders. Well, surely you wouldn't need to remind the priests to trust in the Lord, would you? Oh, yes. Israel, trust in the Lord. And you priests, doing all your priestly things and your sacrifices and your serving in the name of God, don't forget that you need to what? Trust in the Lord. Okay, but, but you know what? I've got to walk with God. I fear the Lord. I live for God. I live for Him. Well, verse number 11, oh, you that say you fear the Lord, don't forget to what? Trust in the Lord. Hey, Christian, don't forget that your confidence is not in yourself, it's in the Lord. You say, but I serve God, I'm a pastor. Pastors, trust the Lord. You say, well, I teach Sunday school. Sunday school teachers, trust the Lord. Well, I'm faithful, I fear God, I read my Bible all the time, I'm a person of prayer. You too, don't forget, trust in the Lord. Depend on Him. Realize that you need Him. We all need to be reminded who to trust. 
just like we're prone to idolatry, we are prone to faithlessness and self-reliance. The blessed life is one that is God-centered and it is God-dependent. Point number three. Aren't you glad point number two was a lot shorter than point number one? All right. Point number three. Not only a God-centered life and a God-dependent life, but a God-contented life. Look at verses 12 through 16. We read this twice already today. The Lord hath been mindful of us. What does that mean? God does what? He what? He cares about us. He's aware of us. He thinks about us. As this, it, what is this like the sand of the sea? His thoughts are toward us. As the grains of sand in the sea, so are his thoughts toward us. Literally, it means here that he has not forgotten us. But it's not incorrect based on other scriptures to say, God is mindful of you in the sense that God thinks about you. And he thinks about you too, and you, and you. And in his infinity, he can think about all of his children infinitely at the same time. Well, I don't understand that. Right. God. That's the point. One word for that. If you don't understand it, one word. God. That's what he is. That's who he is. And what we're seeing here is God thinks about us. We need to, oh, I was having a conversation with somebody really close to me, and we were both talking about how we struggle with restlessness. Just like not being content with what we've accomplished and where we want to go and what we want to do. And and, and we were kind of speaking about that with each other. And it just reminded me of, of this here. Like, why am I so discontented at times when God has set his love upon me? Listen, you may not be all that you want to be in life. And I'm not saying don't work hard and try hard and get educated and, and try to improve your life. That's all good, and God will help you with that. But there is, if God, if your creator, who knows all there is to know about you, if he thinks about you and he loves you, what else do you need out of life? It's from that point of contentedness that then we will see accomplishment. But so often I am discontent. And when I'm discontent, then I create my own idol that is basically myself to try to accomplish what I want to get out of life. Instead of saying, God, I'm content with what you've given me, with what you've allowed me to do, with what you allowed me to have, with where you've put me. And from that contentedness, use me. It's a God-contented life. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. God is mindful. The Lord is mindful of us. But I'm just an exile in Babylon. The Lord is mindful of you. You ever feel like an exile in Berkshire County? <laughs> an exile in this world? If you know Jesus, he's mindful of you. In fact, he's so mindful of you, it says that if he knows, if he notices the sparrow that falls. When a little bird dies, the Lord doesn't miss it. How much greater are his thoughts to us? A God-contented life where we are loved. Not just loved, but there's a confidence that comes from that. You see, look what he says. The Lord hath been mindful of us. 
you, you see the confidence that comes from that. The Lord hath been mindful of us. Read it. Ready? He will bless us. He will bless us. Now, I am not one for, um, what, what do they call that when you speak to yourself? Uh, these um, affirmations, right. I'm not a big fan of, of affirmations, unless they're scriptural affirmations. If you can find some scripture in your life that's the word of God, you know, that says, that, that, and you can speak. I mean, it's, it's one thing to stand in the mirror and say, I am handsome, I am handsome, I am handsome. Not going to help me at all, right? Like you can say that, but how much better to say, to quote the Bible and say, I am loved of the Lord. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you, need, if you want those affirmations in your life, here's some affirmations right here. Notice the confidence that comes from the blessed life. You ready? No? You ready? Here we go. Every time we get to it, you're going to say it. Now are you ready? Some of you are like, what's going on? Well, I just woke up. What's happening? What's going on around me? Here we go. Okay, so sorry. I digress for a minute. One time, one time when I was in college. I'm so glad that that was so long ago. I would not want to go back to school. Anyway, one time when I was in college, I fell asleep in a class. Anybody ever do that before? We're the honest people. Huh? Every class. All right, I didn't fall asleep in every class. Falling asleep in a class, it happened more than often. But this one time, this one time, like I had been up late, which I wasn't supposed to do either. But anyway, I was up late trying to finish something. I had a thing that I had to present in the morning. I was, you know, just from almost an all-nighter, just exhausted. I get that thing done in the morning, and then I got to walk into Mr. Hosey's history class. So I walk in, and usually my sleeping in class was something like how you all do it in church pretty well, right? Like, and it's just kind of like, you know, you got the book there, and you're just like, mm, yeah, blood, praise the Lord. Amen. You know, you know what I'm saying? That was my typical sleeping in class. I could pull it off pretty well. But I was just gone this day, okay? So here I am in my desk, and I'm just like, I, I must have just been like, <laughs> one of these. Just bad. It, embarrassing. There's probably, I don't know, it was a big class, maybe like 40 or 50 people. And uh, I think it was that big. So Mr. Hosey was, he obviously had enough of my sleeping in his class. So the guy walks down, literally. I've got, here's, Adam's going to be me, all right? Adam's going to be me. You're like, what does this have to do with the message? Nothing. Nothing at all, okay? So here's the book on the desk, right? And Adam is me. He's just passed out in the class, right? No, it was worse than that. No, it wasn't snoring. He stops the, unbeknownst to me, he stops the whole class. He walks down to my row right here. He takes my book. He comes all the way back to the front of the class. And apparently, I slept through that whole thing. <laughs> Impressive, right? And so then, and then I'm, I'm there like this. And he goes, makes a noise. I wake up. He's looking right at me. And he's like, I said, turn to page 78 in the book. And I'm just like looking all over the place, you know, and he's just staring me down. Like, I'm thinking I've been caught. And then he picks up my book. He walks all the way back and he puts it on my desk. Public humiliation. Man, do you think I ever fell asleep in that class again? I never did. What does that have to do with what I'm talking about? Nothing other than to say, are you ready? You're ready. We're talking about affirmations. Here we go. Every time we come to one, you're going to do what? 
You're going to say it. You ready? Here we go. He says it. Verse number 12. The Lord hath been mindful of us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. Verse 15, ready? Ye are blessed of the Lord, which made heaven and earth. You're blessed. We are blessed. God contented life. We are loved. We can have confidence. He's gave us fulfillment and purpose. There's nothing more that we need if we are blessed of the Lord. So when your bank account looks low, you got to remember, if you're a child of God, you are what? You're blessed. When things aren't going as well as you'd like in your job, you are blessed. When your health isn't what you want it to be, you are blessed. You are blessed, you are blessed, you are blessed, you are loved. We are. And, not, and, and here's the great thing. You might be like, yeah, but, but, I, but all that stuff, it's my own fault. I blew it. You are not blessed because you deserve the blessing. You and I are blessed despite what we deserve. So no matter how much you mess it up, because of Jesus, you and I are blessed. In Him. That's a God-contented life. And then finally, in verse 17 and 18, it's a God-secured eternal life. This is the most important part. Because if all we had was a path to have a nicer life, but then we died, what would the point be? Sadly, that's how a lot of people look at this. A lot of people in our world today, well, what do you think happens when you die? Oh, nothing, you just stop. And so they live their lives just trying to make the best of the time they have. And you've heard, them, you've heard people talk about all these journeys around the sun, common lingo of people with that. Just, just make my journeys around the sun be the, um, or, or spins, whatever, however they say it. I forget the saying. If death is the end of it, then there are far more questions than, answered, than answers. The Bible gives, if, if death is the end, end of it, why do we long for more? C.S. Lewis, the great Christian writer of the last century, would often speak of the fact that, that you, never find, you never find unfulfilled longings among, among creation. We long for something eternal. Look at verse 17 and 18. The dead. Praise not the Lord. Neither any that go down into silence. Well, what does this mean? God created us for his what? For his glory. To praise him. To reflect his goodness. We cannot do that if we are dead. Death does not fulfill God's purpose for us. 
We must have been created for something more than to live on this earth, to die, and that be the end. Because once, once, if, if that is death, if death is the end, then our purpose for creation has not been accomplished. But look at verse number 18. The dead cannot praise the Lord. Verse number 18. But we will bless the Lord from right now forever. Forever. Our created purpose is to eternally bless the name of God forever and ever. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. It is a God-secured eternal life. What happens when I die? Death is not the end. Death is the beginning of the next phase of your existence. And in that place, in that time, there are only two opportunities. There are only two destinations. There is eternal judgment in hell for those who reject Jesus Christ but there is eternal glory and eternal life to those who put their faith in Jesus. Those are the two options. You and I have the choice to make. Will we put our faith in Christ? Will we trust ourselves? The Bible says in Romans in 6 and verse number 23, for the wages of sin is death. What did an idol ever give you? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Two questions. This is how I always finish with two questions. One is for anyone here that is uncertain. If you'd say, Pastor Ethan, if I died right now, I do not know for sure that I would go to heaven. If you don't know that for sure, you can be sure today. The Bible says the wages of sin, what you and I deserve, the payment we deserve for our sin is death. But you weren't created for death. You were created for life. But sin broke that. Our disobedience broke and brought death and hell. But Jesus came. Jesus, when he died on the cross, he was paying for our sin. He took our death. And then he says, if you will receive me, you can have life. That's where it all starts. If you'd say, Ethan, I'm just not sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. Today, you have the opportunity to ask Jesus to save you. It's a free gift. You don't have to do anything. You can't earn it. You simply receive God's gift of eternal life. So the first question is, has that ever happened in your life? Are you sure? The second question is for Christians who are sure. You say, no, Ethan, I know that I have received Jesus Christ as my Savior. But I keep going back to those silly idols. There's an idol in my life that I struggle with. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed as we come to a time of prayer this morning. I'm asking, first of all, that last group of people, if you're a Christian and you say, hey, I know there's an idol in my life, I need, to, I need to break that idol down and get back to the Lord, would you do that right now? In a quiet time of prayer, right now, surrender that idol to the Lord and say, God, I'm just going to get back to blessing you. 
This is an opportunity for you to do that. But back to my earlier question. If you're in here or you're watching today and you have never received Christ as your Savior or you're not sure that you've received Christ as your Savior, if you died right now, would you go to heaven or might you go to hell? If you're not sure, you can be sure right now. If you'd like to do that, I want to lead you in a prayer. The prayer are just words that express your heart. Your heart is where you believe in Christ. But right now, if you'd say, I'm not sure that I've ever received Christ as my Savior, would you make that decision right now? Say, dear Lord, I do know that I'm a sinner. I know that, that because of my sin, I deserve death. But Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again for me to give me that eternal life. I put my faith in you. Please save me. Right now, in this room, if you've never done that, if you're not sure, put your faith in Christ. Tell Him. Admit your sin. Believe that Jesus died for you and call upon Him to save you. If you'd say, I did that this morning. I made sure this morning. I'd like to pray for you. Would you slip, uh, simply slip up your hand and put it down? Anyone at all would say, even today, I, I made sure I put my faith in Christ. If you're watching on the live stream, would, would you do that? Say, send a message. Say, yes, I put my faith in Christ today. Lord, we do love you and we thank you that you've given us just the opportunity to be your children. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you, you saved us by your love, that you delivered us from the false idols that have never done anything for us. Lord, I pray that we would go out of here today knowing that we have your purpose we have your love and we can go out with confidence that we serve a God who is real, who is above all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know. And we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.